On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about job satisfaction. There are new numbers that say a lot of Canadians not feeling great about where they're working and ready for a change, but can they in this current climate? We'll talk about that. We're also going to be chatting about Hamilton City Council. This week marks the halfway mark of their term. How how are they doing? How are they doing? Honestly, because these are unique times. Does that cut them any slack? Well, we'll dive down that. Whole, and we will also talk about baseball because the numbers are in for the first game of the World Series. Viewership numbers, not good. Is baseball really in trouble? Oh, and you know what? Let's throw a bonus in here today too. We're going to talk about some of the most ridiculous and funniest and ludicrous obituaries ever written just because, hey, let's put some bright light and happy smiley faces on a dark time. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Are you one of the people who, like so many others, has been sequestered in your basement, in your house, away from society for the most part of the last number of months? And not just that. I mean, look, yeah, lots of people are that. But are you one of those people who works and are now at home sequestered and quarantined away? So you really haven't seen your coworkers or your boss or other humankind. You're just plugging away. Well, I bring this up because there's a... A poll that was done of a bunch of Canadian employees over the last little while asking about their job satisfaction in the time of COVID. And take a second here, give it a second's thought. What do you think was their answer? Thumbs up or thumbs up or thumbs down on whether things were going well for them. See, I kind of like working from home. I'm working from home all the time now for the paper and for the radio show. I do the show from my basement. I work in the office in my basement. I write my column in the basement. I kind of like it. I'm independent. I can sit in my fat pants all day. Don't have to deal with a lot of people and be distracted and distract other people. But see, apparently only half the country agrees with me. Half of Canadian workers, according to this poll, say not only, I guess, are they not satisfied, half of them say they are ready to leave their current job. Once this whole COVID thing blows over, they're out of here which is, by the way, way up from the past. I can't believe this is too healthy for them. I can't believe this bodes well for employers. There's a lot of different things going on here. Let me bring in Travis O'Rourke. He is the president of Hayes Canada. They are the company. It is the company that did this poll. Travis, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, Would it be a leap? Would it be a, I mean, I hate to assume, we all know what assuming does, but would it be a fair conclusion, let's say, that if we have all these people who are wanting to leave their job at the earliest possible moment, uh, that probably indicates they are not happy employees? I would say that's a safe bet. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Not many people who are super engaged and happy with their role are looking to jump ship, right? And so that's a lot of people then. That's a lot of people in this country who are grinding it out in the salt mines right now and just gritting their teeth and doing their job but not loving it. Yeah, exactly. Now, the, the key is you've got a lot of people saying they're unhappy and saying they want to leave. But um, with things like Wave 2 happening right now, the question will be what action, if any, is taken. Well, yeah, and let's get into that in just a moment because that is, um, that is clearly the, uh, the obstacle in the road here. You may want to do something, but what can you do about it? Um, before we get there, though, let's just fill in a little bit of the pothole here. Why do you believe there is so much unhappiness. Cause I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of things to like about working from home or working under these conditions. But why do you think it's so widespread? 
Well, I think when when COVID first hit, we obviously saw layoffs like we've never seen before. Three million Canadians, unfortunately, lost their jobs. And there was a period of time there where people were just happy to have a job. And they didn't care what you asked them to do, where you asked them to work. I've got a paycheck, my mortgage is getting paid, and I'm happy. Now, as time has evolved, work still needs to get done. And the employees who are willing to go above and beyond and do this task and that task and cover for this person, they're now starting to realize, hang on a second, the economy is recovering. I'm still doing the work of more than one person, and I'm not getting a pay raise or a promotion. What's going on here? The above and beyond line, it's interesting you raised that because it was something that we that I read, I don't know, a few weeks ago. You probably read it too, and I, I can't remember where I saw it, but there was evidence that what's happening is that people working at home now, when their office is now in their home, are working longer hours. You're right there, so you're just going to keep plugging away. Plus the fact that if you are at home, there's a lot of people who kind of have it in their mind, I better do extra, I better go above and beyond, or else the boss is going to think that I'm goofing off and not pulling my weight. And so they end up working much, much, much longer hours as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, there's there's kind of two parts to it. So people think, well, I used to commute from 7.30 to 8 in the morning. So I might as well just log on at 7.30. I'm giving the same amount of my time to my employer. But now they're sitting at a computer for a little bit longer. They're writing more emails. And by most measures from a technology standpoint, they are working harder. Do you have the sense from, and I mean, your company, it's, it's a, um, it's a recruiting company. Um, you understand employees. Do you get the sense that most people are good in 2020, 2019 in this era? Are they good at putting down their phones and turning off when they get home generally so that this is unusual now that everybody is near their computer and near their phone and everything else. So they're doing longer. Are, are they generally good at being able to separate from work or is that always bad? I would say they generally were good at it. And you've always have functions where being attached at the hip to your email is critical. And that's going to be sales or executive where anything can come in at any moment that needs to be dealt with. But you have the vast majority of functions who weren't required to work outside of business hours. And now maybe it's just an email from a colleague. Maybe it's an email from a manager that they think, well, I'm right here. My computer's right there. I might as well reply to it now. I'm going to have to do it tomorrow anyways. So let me just get this out of the way. So it's new functions who weren't used to working outside of hours that are now being absorbed into this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Travis, you touched on something just before the break, and I think this is one of the really big issues here. Um, People can be burned out. They can be tired. They can be fed up. Whatever the reason is that these numbers popped up, uh, that's fine, except what do you do? Because the job market is not exactly humming right now. Where, where do you go if you say, I got to be out of here? Yeah, I think the, well, the job market isn't as bad um, as you might think. You've got job postings are near their January, February highs. They're, they're almost at it in all cases, but in some cases, it's actually exceeded. You've had a, a flurry of hiring where you went from 3 million employees or 3 million Canadians out of work so now we've recovered 70, 75% of those. So there's been a lot of action and a lot of people are hearing about their friends, families, and maybe ex-colleagues getting hired. And that's part of what's spurring this on. But that 75% that has been reclaimed, 
Is that new jobs or are those just companies that are refilling with people they had laid off before or had told to go home? Because I I haven't heard of a ton of companies saying, you know what, we're just going to really expand right now. Yeah, I think what what um, the, the the temporary layoff that you're referring to had different provincial regulations to it, and to be honest, a lot of companies used it as an opportunity to upskill their business. They laid individuals off. It got to the period of time where they couldn't call them back without paying a severance, and then when it came to refill the role two, three, four months later, rather than calling the old person back, they've used it as an opportunity to see if they can find somebody even better for the role. Which is great if you're one of those people that has those additional skills. It's tougher if you're one of the ones who just got squeezed out and with everybody needing skills. I mean, it's like, it becomes such a difficult thing, Travis, if you're in the middle of the workforce right now, because you need a job to pay your bills and everything else, but companies want more skills and more education. And so your choice is go back to school or work or try to do both at the same time and run yourself into the ground. Yeah, I think the... There are rules out there. Um, I think if I was um, unemployed right now, what I would counsel anyone to do is um, you got to look after yourself first. And if if you want to use this as an opportunity, like many people are, to upskill, to go back to school, uh, there's a lot of programs out there right now that are supporting that. And this is a generational opportunity, for good or for bad, to make a change in your life. And some people are using it to go back to school. Some people are doing a career jump. Some people are traveling. Um, it's a time to take pause and reevaluate what's your priority. It can't be when you look at these numbers though, and you see, I think it's 49% nationally, I've rounded it to 50, and I, but I think it's over that in Ontario and certainly over that in Quebec, the numbers of people who say they're dissatisfied or not happy at work. It surely can't be healthy for that number of people to be that unhappy. No, it, it's, it's absolutely not healthy. And the challenge you have right now is the assumption that the grass is greener on the other side. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and when you look at data like this, 49%, what, are 50% of people ecstatic? Like, not all the companies, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's a risk anywhere you go. Well, and you're right, because the poll simply is, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the wording basically is, you know, those 50% are looking to change, doesn't necessarily say that the other 50 or 51% or whatever it is are delighted. They're just not looking to change right now. You could, it could be 80% of people who are upset right now, for all we know. It could be 80% and 30, 30% are just happy to be employed. They haven't gone through that change curve yet. But um, if you're an employer right now, the stats should be alarming and you need to be aware of what's happening in your workforce. Well, that's the other part of this. All right. So you've got the employees who are not happy. That can't be all that healthy, but now you've got employers, you've got companies. I can't imagine that you're getting full production or best available work from employees who are not happy to be there. No, you'd be foolish if you thought you were. And, um, Dick, there's certainly pockets of people that are fully engaged and taking this opportunity and, the sounds of it like yourself, who are loving working from home. But there, there is no substitution for organic human interaction. And there's so many employees who are feeling isolated and they're lonely and they need to be reengaged. I, 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 you know, I just look at this and I think that this time, and I don't mean this moment, but this era, this season we're in with COVID, whatever you want to call it, the value of a good boss is just so obvious if you have one or if you don't have one. I mean, this is, this to me is the time at the end of this, when you can take stock and go, you know, that person is a great boss and that person, I'm sorry, they suck. 
I agree completely. And uh, certainly the way that I evaluate managers and managers' capability will never be the same. I think previous to COVID, you probably didn't put enough stock into um, emotional intelligence. You couldn't really tell if managers were strong leaders because they were taskmasters and they were standing over their staff saying, do this, or if people were naturally following them. And now that your managers are working remotely, it's becoming very, very evident who's really strong, whose team believes in them, and who's struggling because they can't see what their staff are actually doing. Uh, we got to run, but uh, any idea what percentage of bosses you think fall into the category of the ones that people really love right now and are doing a bang-up job? You know what? I, w- I would be guessing, but one thing I can tell you is if layoffs continue to happen, it's going to be a middle management because employees are showing that they can get it done without being micromanaged. Travis O'Rourke with Hayes Canada. Um, you can find this poll written about, you can find it online. You can uh, you can look it up. Really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, we will take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be chatting about our city council with someone who we're probably going to ask if he is satisfied at his job. <laughs> we'll see what kind of answer he gives. If he says no, I'm sure his boss will be listening. You'll understand in a moment. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bill Kelly, host of the aptly named Bill Kelly Show, mornings on 900 CHML, and now in London on stations near and far, joins me. Bill, how are you tonight? I'm well. As soon as I hear the music, I think, my God, I've overslept. Oh, gee. Yeah, well, you know, so we were just talking to someone a moment ago about job satisfaction, and I said, I'm going to have to check, knowing that all the bigwigs from Chorus are listening in all the time, what is Bill Kelly's job satisfaction level right now? I love my job. I love. All right, there you go. I, I Listen, I've told you before, Scott, we've mentioned this on your program before, since I was a little kid, and I mean, really, in elementary school, uh, I either wanted to be a goalie for the Boston Bruins or a radio announcer. I mean, even when we used to play ball, over at Vincent Massey School on the East Mountain when I was a little kid, you know, every game, you know, every day was pick up baseball, right? I had a transistor radio with me. And I'd listen to, to, to CKOC and to 1050 Chum, and I'd listen to all the disc jockeys, you know, the Jay Nelson and all these guys, and, and figured, hey, I'd love to do that someday. And so I'm, I'm, I'm living the dream. I know that sounds like a cliche, but I, I enjoy it. That is, good, that is good news, and it shows on the show. Shows on the show. It, it is evident, let's put it that way. Uh, brought Bill on, wanted to have you on, Bill, because... Th- it's either late last week or early this week. I don't know the exact date. My math skills are not quite that strong. Marked the halfway point of this term of Hamilton City Council. Oh my God. And I thought, halfway? well, and, and I, you know, I was talking to a couple of counselors today and I said to them, this either has to seem like the longest half term of council ever or the fastest half term of council. They didn't answer, but I'm thinking it was the la- the former, not the latter. This has got to seem for a lot of people like the longest two years ever. Well, it's just gone from one time in the hot seat to the next one. Just one thing after another. Uh, some of them of their own doing, some of them not so much. But even if it's not their doing, how they respond to those sorts of situations is still going to be part of the way that we judge them. Uh, it's it's been a tough two years, but at the same time, you know, to use the old cliche, you knew the job was tough when you applied for it. You do, and look, I'm I'm not here to offer up defenses or build walls for them to put around them or anything like that. But yeah, I I agree with you. When you apply for this job, if you don't know it's a hard job, you haven't been paying attention, and I don't know why you're campaigning. At the same time, Bill, I don't think that anybody who applied or campaigned for this job could have possibly fathomed how hard it was going to be with all the stuff that would go on. Well, and let's 
start maybe here and go backwards, okay? Because obviously one of the major factors here is the, is the pandemic. And, and again, that's not of their doing, but, you know, how the city responds to it, et cetera, is, is part of that. And that's, that's going to be part of the legacy of this term of council, just having to do that. And we're not out of the woods yet, as we know. You know, we're probably just heading into the second wave, and this could be with us till at least May or June of next year. And it's had an impact on every aspect of our society. You know, the economy, uh, businesses are closing, businesses are reopening, then closing again. Uh, people are getting sick, long-term care facilities, and some of those are on the city because we own two of them. So, you know, the city does have a role to play here. Uh, and i got to tell you, by and large, on that aspect of it, maybe it's more staff than city council, I think they've done a pretty credible job, uh, Paul Johnson and Dr. Elizabeth Richardson. Uh, council you know, are really just hopefully just taking their advice. But what's going to, I think, that probably shaped the feeling a lot of people are going to have for these first two years are some of the other things that went on. Uh, sewage gates, as, as we call recall, and, and you know the, the fact that we were left in the dark as a public about what was going on there for a long, long time until somebody finally discovered this, uh, and we realized all the stuff was going in there. And you know the rationalization was, oh, come on, it was polluted anyway. I mean, really? That's your excuse? That's what you're going to stick with? Uh, and and. And, the, you know, there were people that, you know, were outraged. Some of the new members of council were outraged by that, if you remember, Scott. But they were complicit in it. Nobody said anything for, like, nine months. Uh, and I know that they were told not to. But, I mean, you know, the public has a responsibility to learn this sorts of stuff. And they have a responsibility to keep us in the loop about that. Uh, the other, of course, is, uh, is, is going to be, uh, well, I think you can put this all under the right of, of not, not just the gay pride situation with the parade and some of the other things, but the demonstrations that went on in the City Hall forecourt for the longest time. Uh, I, I think it would be fair to characterize uh, the response of a lot of counselors as insensitive to that. Uh, and I'm not suggesting you had to take sides, but you had to understand exactly what was going on and how it was impacting people. And I don't necessarily think a lot of people got the message on that. And, and, and that sticks with people for the longest time. And there are still people that are talking about that. Uh, and there's a number of different things that we could go on. I mean, I could ramble on for about 25 minutes here, because obviously you and I talk about these things every day on our shows. Well, and, and you know, whether it's those issues, uh, I mean, one of the big ones, and I think it kind of crosses into this territory, I think there's an overlap here, is one of the words that has been brought up a lot recently is decorum. And that's been one ah. of the discussion points of this council. And again, uh, not defending, but wondering if, you know, er look, Bill, everybody right now is cranky and not themselves and on edge and whatever. That I, I don't think that's an excuse, but does it, give them any cover around council, just the fact that, listen, they're human and so they're going to be cranky too and they're going to say things too that maybe they wish they didn't because they're talking a lot with council meetings and we're in a weird time. Uh, in a word, no. Uh, because a lot of the, the concern about decorum started long before they went into uh, these these uh, virtual meetings. It was going around the shoe, the horseshoe there too. Uh, you know, we had too many people that went Donald Trump on everybody as soon as they wanted to, so they were talking over each other, interrupting each other. Uh, yelling back and forth, uh, and it's 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 very unprofessional. And I'm not suggesting we all have to, you know, form a circle and sing kumbaya at these meetings. Of course, there are going to be disagreements, but you have to have respect, and somebody has to have control of the meetings. And it wasn't always the mayor, by the way, uh, because as we know, some councillors oftentimes will chair a lot of those meetings. Uh, and if you don't have the backbone to stand up and say, "Look, if this is the way it's going to be, and if you don't play by the rules, you're not going to talk." Uh, somebody has to enforce the rules. Somebody has to play traffic cop or something like this. Uh, there has been, uh, I think, a lot of concern, legitimate concern, about the vote decorum and about the respect or lack thereof. And there's also been something else that I've noticed in the last little while, Scott. You know, when I was on council for the amalgamation, that's 20 years ago now, 
And, and sadly, there was in some circles kind of an us versus them, you know, the suburbs versus the old city. Still uh, exists. A lot of these issues, you know, oh, yeah, you're screwing us and everything else. That is, that's not gone, but it's, it's still there, but not quite so strong. What I'm noticing now is, is it's infighting within the city wards, uh, upper and lower, when it comes to things like, you know, street conversions, bike lanes, uh, you know, uh, you know, road diets, what they call, in other words, reducing traffic lanes that, you know, the one on Aberdeen is the one that's, that's on everybody's hot plate right now. And you've got the mountain councillors saying, hey, my, my people drive on there too. And they, well, it's my neighborhood. And, you know, and it's on and on like this. And it's, it's not being done in a very professional manner. And, and, you know, it's going to be controversial. There's going to be some confrontations here. But at the same time, you've got to have respect for each other's position. And I'm not so sure that happens all the time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bill, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, decorum and things. And, and you mentioned the mayor and then we've had in the spectator, we've had letters to the editor railing against the mayor's handling of, or not handling of stuff. And we've had people defending the mayor saying, look, it's not his problem to try and control and wrangle all the different personalities. Where's the right answer for that? Well, there's a responsibility who I was chairing the meeting. And I mean, you know, the problem we have in Hamilton, about some problem, it's the reality uh, we do not have a strong mayor system here. I mean, if a mayor has one vote, just like the, the any one councillor has one vote. So, you know, it, it's not as if they can exert a lot of influence. Not, not unlike Toronto, where he's got his own little cadre of special advisors and deputy mayors, et cetera, and a lot of cities are going that way. Uh, we don't. So it's a little problematic. But, you know, what we are looking for here is, is leadership and, and respect, I think, around that council table, or now around the virtual council table, I guess, as it were. Uh, and And... It's, I guess it's a lot easier to control a meeting virtually now because you can just shut somebody off there and they start to get out of hand. <laughs> true. Uh, so, you know, when they were still in the council chambers, if somebody was getting out of hand or going, you know, 12 minutes past their allotted time, the microphones would shut off, but they just reach down, turn it on again, and keep on rambling. Uh, and, and again, that comes to discipline, and then there has to be some, some respect for, for everybody else's idea, too. And, you know, if you can't say it in five minutes, you can't say it. I mean, you know... The, it's just like that old Led Zeppelin song, Ramble On, you know, and people speaking five or six times about the same topic. We already know how you feel about a counselor. Back off and let's just take a vote on this. Uh, it, you know, I was talking to one counselor just the other day uh, who just got off one of these virtual meetings that they were chairing and said it was six and a half hours. And I said, well, shut the mics off after an hour. I mean, come on, you know, this this is this is part of the problem that we have here. I, mean, I, I understand that. I, was, I sat in that chair for many years and I, I worked with a lot of people that, you know, basically spoke from the heart and others who spoke because, well, they wanted to quote in the paper the next day. And, you know, it, it can be problematic like that. And a lot of the time they're not getting down to business. They're, they're more concerned about their persona and, 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 you know, the way they're going to be perceived within the media and things of that nature. And that's, that's somewhat problematic too. But you know, the other element too, I know your time is tight here. Uh, we're only halfway through. They, they have some big issues on their plate that they're going to have to make some decisions about. Uh, in the very near future, including light rail transit. Uh, we don't even where that is. You know, we keep hearing that it was canceled, but, you know, the mayor had a meeting with the premier a couple of days ago and said, well, we're going to try to make it work. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not or how much money is going to be available. And uh, the Commonwealth Games, they're going to have to, you know what, or get off the pot pretty soon mm-hmm. with that. Uh, you know, that's a substantial amount of money, and it looks as if there could be some provincial and, and federal support for that. Uh, there's an economic case to be made for this. I know there are some people on council that are just dead set against that. Just Well, they're dead set against spending anything except on roads and, and, and things of that nature and affordable housing. But, you know, the, you've got to be open-minded about that and say, okay, is this a side door into the addressing some of the other problems that we've got? Uh, 
I hope they're ready to have that kind of discussion. And, and you know, instead of kicking issues down the can uh, down the road, which they've done so many times, uh, you, what we need and, and what we're hoping for here is decisive action from the councillors on some reason. But reasons. Bill, okay, let me jump in for a sec because this is not just this council, and I want to be clear. I'm not. I'm not putting the finger of blame on this particular group because it goes back. Council after council after council after council after council in Hamilton. Why do Hamilton councils seem to have such a hard time with big decisions? Well, I'm going to tie that to something else that you've talked about on your show. Uh, the uh, the long haulers, as, as maybe we'll call them, the people that have been on council for more than 20 years. Um, you know, I, 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 quick story. The late Peter Cormos, who was an MPP from Welland, uh, and he was elected uh, to the Ontario legislature when Bob Ray got elected back in 1990. And, and I hit Peter on the show because he was an outspoken guy and, you know, always, you know, didn't mind what he said or whose toes he stepped on. And I said, look, you got to answer me something, Peter. I said, you know, you guys, and I mean all of you that run for public office, and this is before I did, so I was just you know, a neophyte. I said, you promised the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you get elected, and the next thing you know, it's, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to backtrack on that. Uh, you know, well, we'll put that off until later on. I said, what's going on? And you know what he said to me? Short answer. He said, you know what? He says, I'm from Welland, and he says a lot of people in the legislature, or from that matter, from Parliament Hill, are from small towns, etc. They're not all from Toronto and, and Montreal and Hamilton. And he says, you know, you get in there, and you got this beautiful office, this nice mahogany desk, and you got staff that are waiting on you hand and foot, uh, you know, and they're doing this for you. And they, yeah, you can do this. Here's your calendar. Here's you. And there's a little voice he says in the back of your head that says, I got to do whatever it takes to stay here. This is a pretty good gig. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that's the motivation for everybody, but it's in their head. And there's an accusation, and, you know, we can debate this until midnight tonight if you want, that there are some people on council who base their decisions on how that's going to be perceived with the people they support them, not whether or not it's the best thing for the city, which is one of the reasons why they kick so many things down the road. They don't want to we make got- that. You don't want to make that. You know, if, 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 okay, I'm going to go black. No, no, the people that wanted white are going to go nuts on you. Oh, gee, I can't afford that. I could lose lawn signs. And, and that's the mindset some people have, not just on this council, but on every council. And it, it makes it problematic. Your job there is to do what's best for the city, not what's best for you as a politician. I wish we had about six hours for this one, and I know you could fill it, and I could probably fill it too, because it's a topic that um, that resonates with everyone, that matters to everybody, and uh, you know, there's no shortage of, of stuff to talk about. But sadly, Bill, uh, maybe pick it up in the morning because we're out of time now. But I, I do appreciate Bill Kelly joining me. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate the time. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thanks a lot. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me turn to Bubba O'Neill from CHCH who just got off doing his sports cast on TV and joins us now. Sir, how are you tonight? Um, I'm in one of those wandering moods. Um, wandering? Yeah, you know. I mean, wandering you know, or wandering? Well, you know, just, you know, Forge FC have this huge game in El Salvador tonight in the, what, CONCACAF uh, League. Um, you know, it's a big uh, one-game sort of thing. And they're playing this team, uh, CD Municipal Lumero. I mean, for those that are Spanish, they probably can say it better than I can. And those that have, when I looked at it, looked at the logo, I mean, have you ever seen a logo that had a pig kicking a soccer ball? I have not, although I talked about it at the beginning of the show. I just before the show consumed a maple bacon coffee. So I, I infused the flavor of pig in with my coffee. So it's all a big circle today. We've tied it all together with the pig's, the pig soccer logo. Maybe they drank some of that coffee Unbelievable. I didn't even know this, Scott. I had not, I've not seen that logo. It's, uh, 
But is it like cartoony? Is it one of those logos you would buy? Because you go, that's a terrific logo. Or is it well, stupid? The, the funny thing is, when I, when I revealed it at the end of the sports cast, our news anchor, Phil Perkins, thought it was an elephant. <laughs> so, so the artist was not necessarily on top of his bovine game. Not well, bovine, it is, it, porcine, it's ra- porcine. It's rather, it's rather cartoonish. I will say that much. But it, it, it is um, unique, to say the least. I, I'll Soccer playing pig. Well, we'll, we'll see if they, uh, if they hog the ball tonight. Oh, oh, look at you. Look at you. Dad, dad puns right there. That's, I've had practice. Um, Bobby, you know, I looked at the numbers. So I, I find this world series matchup to be quite intriguing because you have the second, I think, highest payroll in baseball. Yep. And you have the fourth lowest, and the only ones lower than the Tampa Bay Rays are teams that are in a complete teardown and rebuild mode, like Baltimore and Miami. So you've got these two opposites, these two poles that are competing against each other. I mean, Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers, the starting pitcher, makes more by himself than the entire roster of the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's Betts and Kershaw. Is it Betts and Kershaw? Okay. Yeah, Betts I thought it was just Kershaw. the one. But, I mean, which in itself is absolutely unbelievable that two players could make so much money more than an actual team. You know, so, it's spectacular. Well, and so you've got this this interesting, to me, matchup. Uh, good teams. I think they both play an exciting brand of baseball. Mm-hmm. And yet the numbers have come out for the first game of the World Series, the overnight ratings. Game one of the World Series, lowest viewership of any World Series game ever. Wow. And I'm looking at this saying, okay, it's not even like you can put the blame on saying, well, we're doing like hockey did or basketball didn't playing the World Series out of season. So, you know, no one's watching baseball. It's being played at the time it would normally be played in the season will be played by two teams that are compelling. And I just start to wonder, are we watching the slow death of this sport because it's not appealing to a younger audience? Well, I think your assumption or your, you know, your hypothesis is, is, is fair. And, and, and I'll tell you why here. It's a couple of things that are very concerning to me. Um, Major League Baseball are aware of the age gap in terms of its popularity of the sport and have done, you know, a number of things to try and, you know, speed up the game because the word is, and this is not just for, for, for baseball, that, Today's society wants things quicker, and they want a quicker product. And I think the NBA has done a good job, even though the last two minutes sometimes it would make you wonder. But the actual sit-down product is the quickest, really, of the major four sports. You're in and out of an NBA game in about two hours and 25 minutes. I've been here, obviously, because I work at the station, and I'm here during the nighttime. There have been two games this year that have gone into the four-hour have surpassed the four hour and 15 minute mark. And I don't think that's too much in terms of the commercials. That's just how long the games have actually taken. Major League Baseball have done a number of things to speed up the game. Even going into this season and this COVID stricken season and a shortened season in terms of games, they've increased the amount of teams for, that made the, the postseason. And they've done things to make the game quicker. Yet, as you said, people are not watching, Scott. And that's a major league concern. I don't know what they can do. I mean, 
It, well, it, you know, you talk about the length, you talk about the length of time and yeah. it's a very valid point and, and you look at things, let's go back. And I know it's an outlier, but go back to game five of the Texas Toronto series, the Bautista bat flip game. Mm-hmm. The seventh inning of that game took something like an hour and 10 minutes to play from the top and the bottom of the, and yet not one person complained about that. But that but was, you, as they say, the outlier, because it was so dramatic, but you yes. can't replicate that all the time. And when you drag right. innings out and they don't carry that drama, yeah. you're just now it's boring. It's people are fine to watch for a long time. If it's compelling, it's yes. when it's not compelling that you better speed it up. Well, and, and, and you're right to bring up because that was, that was, that was compelling. That was exciting, especially locally for us, you know, but you're talking about really one of the innings that will go down in baseball history. So not just for us here locally, in baseball history is one of the most thrilling. In fact, Major League Baseball did a special about it, um, you know, which was very, very interesting for those who haven't seen it. Check it out on YouTube. It's it's amazing. It'll bring back some great memories for those who, 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 you know, who remember that inning, and many of us do. But I think Major League Baseball has a serious problem in its hands here, and Again, you're, you're, you know, unfortunately, maybe people like myself and yourself were, 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 the game is trying to not phase us out, but they know we're watching anyway. But they're in order to, to avoid what the situation now. This was for totally different reasons, but to avoid falling in the situation that the CFL fall, fell into for basically two decades, almost two generations, that they just weren't taking care of that next generation and introducing the game as a fun game, a cool game, a game that, you know, you should grab a bat and a ball and play. I just don't know what they're going to do. Well, and, and I mentioned that, that, that one Jays game, not because, I mean, again, I understand it was unique. The point was people will commit to watching if they are engaged. So it's not a question that the game itself per se is boring to people. It's that, it takes so long sometimes that, as you say, I think that that becomes a huge obstacle that, you know, if it like, you know what I think probably, and I haven't seen any ratings for it, but I bet you those games in a half hour, games in an hour, whatever they do, the Jays in 30 minutes, whatever, I bet they do okay because it compresses everything. Okay, I can see it now. I can see the whole game in 30 minutes. I can be in and out. I don't know how well those shows do, but it's obviously someone Scott, I at Sportsnet has decided. Saudi, you know, I worked at that station for, you know, the, the broadcast of those games for, you know, a dozen years, and those games did, and that was, and I left there in 2010, uh, and at that time, so we're talking about 10 years ago, those games were doing well, and I am of the belief that the ratings, they will not stop doing that. In fact, that's why you've seen that, that concept spread out to the National Hockey League to, to do these Leafs in 30-minute games, because Here's the here's the rub. A lot of these games, especially we'll talk, we're getting back to baseball. These games start at eight o'clock, and I know many of your listeners are probably thinking to themselves, "Well, it's nine thirty, ten o'clock. I got to get to bed because I got to I got to hop on the go train, or I got to you know face traffic. I got to get out of my house at seven or eight in the morning, so I can't afford to be staying up. Uh, I'm by the time I air my eleven o'clock sports here on on CHCH, the games are generally not done." So people got to go to bed. But, so but that's that why makes these half-an-hour games are doing so. These, these half-an-hour products are doing so well. But that makes this year's World Series and the numbers even more disconcerting because people don't have to get on the go train right now and they don't have to commute because they're at home. They can sleep later and they can roll over and work in their pajamas the next morning. 
I, you know, if I'm baseball, I am really, really concerned about these numbers right now because I, I don't know how you, I don't, unless you put in really new crazy rules that every traditionalist will completely lose their mind at, like, for example, the pitch clock uh, that says, you know, you've got 20 seconds after the ball hits the catcher's mitt to deliver your next pitch. There's so many reasons in baseball why I think that's a bad idea. Because what do you do about checking runners over at first or looking in for signs or all the other strategy? I don't know how you enforce it and keep the game as the game. But you know what? I I, I wouldn't say that that's impossible that it's going to happen. But your mentality, though, Scott, again, and I appreciate what you're saying there. Your mentality is one that they're not trying to appeal to right now. No. No, we, we've already seen in this COVID sorting season the seven, you know, the, the minor, the minor league style uh, double headers of, of playing uh, seven innings. Uh, I have to admit to you, um, in the Olympics, when I had first seen the extra inning um, process of starting a guy at second base, I thought it was a joke. But for some reason this year, I enjoyed it, and probably because the game ended quicker. Because I can't hang around for 15 innings. Most people can't. Most people in the stadium can't hang out for 15 innings. So let's get on with it. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, um, the, 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 the stat books and the, uh, and the old-timers and people of our ilk are going to have to bite it and just say this is just the game has <laughs> to change. I don't, I, don't, I don't dispute that, and I think that that probably will not be the end because I think that... You know, hockey over the years has tried some quirky things. I mean, the, the glow puck was one of them, which they eventually got rid of. But I, I mean, I could see baseball going with even other things. And, 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 you know, right now it sounds insane to say some of the things that I would say. But, uh, you know, the, the idea of, you know, we have a designated hitter. What about a, a guy that wants a game or something? You can bring him up out of order because he's your best hitter. At a key point in the game, he can bat again. You know, like things like this where all of a sudden you go, well, it's it's loopy. It's not really baseball, but would it generate interest? Yeah, it might. All right, let's try it. I mean, I can see them doing anything, honestly, anything. Yeah, well, we'll and, and I think there's one thing we've actually, you know, kind of just looked over too. Um, what when you talk about these ratings and why Major League Baseball, I believe this year will take some type of action, and there will be definitely some type of rule changes. Is that you're talking about one of the teams in the World Series? being the second largest television market in the entire country, in the United States. That is, that, I mean, if we were looking at Houston versus, um, you know, the Rays and the ALCS or any of those, you know, the smaller markets, had it been Atlanta involved, uh, yeah, I could see maybe not that quite, this type of reaction, or at least this type of, like, fear for Major League Baseball. But lo- the, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Arguably the either first or second most legendary team the sport has to offer, along with the Yankees, uh, both yep, were in yeah. the playoffs this year, right? And again, and and that's been the talk of these entire playoffs. And I'll tell you something here, and you, I think you'll agree with me. The playoffs have been great this year. Sure, they have. Sure, they have. They, but you're right. They have that. You have to commit. You have to commit to it, and that becomes if you don't have your team in it, it's. You know, it's difficult. There are times when it doesn't matter if your team is in because the game is so compelling, but there's other times, you know, you, the that emotional connection is the the lure that draws you in. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes, and I wanted to ask you about one other thing before we go. This sat, last Saturday night, 
I think it was Saturday, Friday or Saturday, I guess it was Saturday. I was sitting down in front of the TV. I had completely forgotten that the Tiafimo Lopez, um, Vasily Lomachenko fight was on. Some people have no idea. It is, it was the biggest boxing match of the year. Uh, two guys who one came in with one championship belt, one came in with three would have been a massive fight in Vegas. Had there been fans there instead, it's in basically an empty warehouse room. I mean, it was weird to see it, but huge fight. But Bobby, here's my point at the end of it, when Lopez wins and he is draped in four different belts, I couldn't help but look at this and go, this is ridiculous. Surely somehow boxing has to be able to get back to the days when there was a champion as opposed to enough belts that you, the guy was almost weighed down so he couldn't walk. It's ridiculous. Well, and it's funny that you say that because retired boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr., I mean, a guy who has won his fair share of belts and, you know, is arguably one of the pound for pound, arguably maybe the greatest fighter of all time, um, 50 and 0 or whatever, 51 and 0, I believe. Um, that's his complaint. Is that there's just oh, too really? many, okay. and when he when he was coming up, and of course, and when our glory days of uh, of you know the heavyweight division at least, there was always the WBC and the WBA. That was it. Um, those were the recognized major titles. There was a North American championship. There was obviously here in this country a Canadian championship. But in terms of getting to the you know your top ten boxers in each division, there was the two belts. And you're right. It's now I believe. Well, we saw four in that fight, but I actually believe there's five recognized at the top level. And you're right. It's just, it's just too many. I mean, um, even people that I know the sport, that know the sport extremely well, I, I think would agree with this argument that, that, is a, that it, it becomes very hard to identify who's the best, who has the belt, what belt means more. Uh, and, that, and that's a struggle for the sport and something that you're going to definitely have to figure out. Well, of course you're right with that because this one, we were lucky in this fight that one fighter, that these two guys were both willing to put up their belt. So you have one guy who walks out with all of them. But as you say, when there's five, theoretically you have five different champions. And the problem boxing has is that many guys don't want to risk what they have. They would rather stay the champion. So they don't want to fight the other guy who's a champion in the class because then you may end up with nothing. You could double your money, but you could end up with nothing. And so you end up with guys avoiding each other and, you know, whether people like the UFC or not, the one thing that is great about the UFC is every, every one of the top, pretty much every one of the top mixed martial artists in the world are in that one. And they have just one promoter. That's the UFC. And so they put together the fights that people want to see and the top guys face the top guys and no one dodges anyone else. Yeah. Boxing, you don't do that. Well, and, 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 you know, and some would tell you, I, I, I agree with you because I agree with what you're saying, but yet there are people out there in that old, you know, boxing versus UFC or mixed martial arts sort of discussion that would tell you that having one belt or at least one organization, which would be UFC, there are other, you know, brands of mixed martial arts, but UFC worldwide is recognized as the largest that there's a, a that that they're telling the boxers what to do and that's not right um because there's so much of a corporate um domination or monopoly upon the the fighters that um you know it's kind of a slave mentality in a in, in its own sense and that opens up its own set of arguments 
the business model, uh, yes, I, I, I would agree there are some issues with the business model. I'm simply talking about the the fight model and the matchmaking model and the fact that if you are one of the best guys or best women in the world, you should be competing against the other best in the world. And then when you win, you take on the next best one who's coming along and on and on. You don't pick and choose who you want to you're, fight. You're, to. you're totally correct. But as, as a guy that does watch, you know, UFC, Dana White doesn't always do that. Um, and there are political reasons for that because you are, you, you do hear sometimes, you know, that this person should fight this one or they've, you know, had three fights and gotten to number two and they should get number one, but somehow they don't. And that's the issue is that the UFC and mainly Dana White, and I don't know what, you know, he can pick and choose based on cards or availability of, you know, where, where they're going to fight and all that and say, no, we're not going to fight you there. Right. So that, that, again, that's its own kind of issues. Yeah. I, I, I watched this thing and it was, it was a, you know, it was a good fight. Like it was, it was entertaining fight. and I don't watch a ton of boxing anymore, mostly because, well, you know what, this goes to that reason. I don't know too many of the boxers because there's so many different guys in so many different divisions and categories that you can't keep up with all of them. And so these guys I knew, so I was very intrigued to watch this fight and I committed to it. We're talking about commitment with baseball. I sat down and committed myself to watching 12 rounds and I was happy I did, but I'm not going to do that with every single one because I don't know them right. and because it's not two guys who I really want to see fight each other. You know, the, this, the, they, the, this, is the, this is the formula. The, the good thing for the sport, and, and maybe, I don't know if this is, again, we talk about models. Um, you know, you're, we're talking about a TV, a, a match that was on TV. Like, the, as you said, a, a match that had four belts on the line that was on regular TV. And, and the when numbers, does that happen? And the numbers were superb. Yeah, and uh, when does that happen? I mean, it used to be wide world of sports with Muhammad Ali, but it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, that just doesn't that just doesn't happen anymore. And now we're going into one week later. Um, again, Dana White saying that this uh, Habib fight could be, or is looking like it will be, the biggest pay per view event uh, in the history of the uh, of the promotion. And I, we got to go, but there is one other thing that you just raised there, which is a really great point, and that is maybe maybe even though boxing likes to pay out really good purses and everything else, but you know what? The UFC has eaten boxing's lunch in a lot of ways by putting so many of its fights on TV. Every weekend you can watch a UFC card pretty much or the undercard of a UFC card. And you know what? That creates name brands, that creates rivalries, that creates interest. Boxing, I think, has made a mistake by never, never until now anyway, having its big fights on the air. Yeah. And not your biggest, the UFC is not going to put its biggest, biggest fights on the air, but it'll put big fights on the air. But you're right though. You can still get attracted to those, even on those biggest fights, you can still get attracted to the event by watching the prelims. And I don't know. I, I know I've done it. I've been suckered into it where I've watched prelims and I'm like, ah, all right, let's do it. Let's get the pay-per-view. Yep. Well, and, and there you go. Boxing. I mean, that's the other thing. Boxing's pay-per-views. They're, they're not cheap. And that's a, you know, there's, there's just, there's a lot of things I think that, you know, I, I still like watching a great boxing match, but there's a lot of obstacles they seem to put in your way to make it more and more difficult to do it. Let's hope that they, uh, in time, maybe, you know, COVID solves a lot of problems in a weird kind of way. It does a lot of bad things, but it has created some 
opportunities to rethink things. Maybe boxing is one of those places that's going to uh, use this to its advantage. Yeah. Bubba O'Neill, always appreciate it. Catch Bubba tonight at 11. He'll be doing the sports and maybe the weather. I don't know. Are you still doing the weather? No more weather for me. Just doing sports and fashion and updates on reality TV shows that he watches. You can catch them all on CHCH. Would, would, would tonight's uh, 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 event in the United States count for one, two, the debate? Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll tune in for Bubba's update on the presidential election, too. There you go. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's a, it's a sad moment, obviously, when you die. You hope it's a sad moment. I mean, if people are, if people are celebrating your death, uh, probably that's a bad sign about who you are, but it's, yeah, it's a sad moment. And for a lot of people, funerals are, we've all been to them. They're very morose and there's a lot of tears and, and we get it that, that, that's natural. That's emotional. That's what we'd expect. But some people and their families have said, you know what? Yeah, it's sad, but we're going to still try and find the bright side, still find the funny. This person was funny or we're funny. We're, we're not going to let this thing drag down into schmaltzy, morose territory. We're going to keep this lighthearted and fun. And so between obituaries and headstones and other things, um, some people have found a way to make death and the, mem- and the remembering of people who have died rather entertaining. Starting with William H. Hahn Jr., whose headstone says, William H. Hahn Jr., 1905 to 1980, quote, I told you I was sick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, hey, he told them. Did they believe him? Um, Douglas Legler was the guy who apparently told his family, look, don't make a big fuss. I don't want a long obituary in the paper when I die. Keep it tight. Keep it concise. I'm not that big a deal. Just... Short and sweet and to the point. So they did. Here is Doug Legler's entire obituary. Douglas Legler. Doug died. <laughs> <laughs> he with did. With a lovely picture. With a lovely picture of Douglas smiling smirkingly like he had a hand in this. Doug died. <laughs> <laughs> he got, got everyone go home. Yep. He was, you know, and I bet you everyone who knew him, I mean, you'd have to know the guy. He, that probably fits in perfectly with his personality. Uh, Here's one. Doesn't say what the person's first name is. The last name was Mitchell. Uh, What the headstone says, well, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. This is an unfortunate occurrence. This is an unfortunate occurrence indeed. Um, Let us, uh, okay. This one, this one's a little, a little edgy. Um, now you've got a picture of the headstone here. It is a regulation headstone. So it sticks up out of the ground, but it's on a base that is wider than the headstone itself. So it kind of makes an upside down T if you get my drift, there's okay. more room on the bottom of the base than, so you could write along the edge of the bottom. Anyway, just so you understand, because at the bottom, it's got her name and everything, Janet, something on the upright headstone, but on the flat part. It says, if you can read this, now picture how you have, where you'd have to be standing to read a little line at the bottom of the base. If you're reading this, you can, if you can read this, you are standing on my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would hope she knew about that. And I guarantee you, everybody after seeing that immediately looks at their feet. I am positive they do. Uh, here is one under funeral arrangements. 
Doesn't say the name of the person. Doesn't matter. You wouldn't know them anyway. Uh, funeral arrangements. I wish to be interred such that I may decompose easily, that no efforts be undertaken to preserve my corpse. I wish to be nude and wrapped in a sheet, but with my arms unrestricted by the sheet. And I wish for my gravestone to read, here lives, whatever. His reign of terror has come to an end. Pretty, pretty clear. Uh, a little different on this one. I don't know that this person's family, I don't know if this is funny. Uh, this person's family, it sounds like they're either really having a, a little fun with her um, or, or, or really she was not a popular person. Kathleen Demlo Shunk, blah, 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 blah. Um, she married Dennis Demlo at St. Anne's in Wabasso, had two children. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother and moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents. She passed away on May 31, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand this world is a better place without her. Woo, mom, see you later. Stinger on mom on that one. That's not really funny, I guess. That's, uh, a little edgy. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, This one was unintentional, but it may be the funniest one of them all. When you go to a funeral, they usually give you a program. They hand you a little piece, and it's got the order of service and probably a picture of the person and a maybe a Bible verse or a favorite quote or something like that. You know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. And on this one, there was a a picture. It's like a smudge of a cross. And underneath in nice writing, it says, remember that you are but dust and into dust you shall return. I think that's from the Psalms. Except there was a bad typo on this. (laughs) The word but somehow was given two T's. (laughs) So it now says, remember that you are but dust. And into dust you shall return. <laughs> I don't know who the person was, but they were butt dust. It's like belly button Lint's older cousin. Yes. Yeah, that, that to me is just, that, that is great because it's such a ridiculous one. But um, yeah, you're butt dust. Uh, whoever, whoever was the printer got fired on that one and probably sued. And I'm, I, what I want to know, though, is how long it took someone to start giggling in the service. <laughs> Part who was through. the person? Who was the person who caught on? Uh, George Norman Davis passed away on Monday, September 26, 2016. Apparently, he meant it when he said he would rather die than have to watch the presidential debate. Wow. At least he's no longer obligated to vote, firmly believing, regardless of the outcome, the nation is going somewhere in a handbasket, and he'd rather travel in the opposite direction. <laughs> well, how's that for commentary? Boom. Last, last shot of politics before you head out. Uh, here's one. It's, it's just very interesting. The woman is named Kay and her headstone is a recipe for her fudge. (laughs) (laughs) Two squares of chocolate, two tablespoons of butter, melt on low heat, stir in one cup of milk, on and on and on. The whole thing goes. You can be remembered for something. Do you think it continues all the way to the other side and... Just keeps going like it's Could one be. of those. Oh crap! We ran out of space here. Uh, flip it over. Flip it over. Now to the base. Along Could the sides. Be. Over the top. Pull it up. Lift it up to get the the sample. <laughs> um, this one was a uh, uh, funeral cremation burial final instruction. Someone gave their final wishes to the funeral home so they would know what to do when they passed away. The entire thing is blank. Burial instruction, embalming, cremation, public viewing, private viewings, church, all the rest. The whole thing is blank except for one box, eulogy preference, in which he wrote, 
Jason, comma, brother, to give eulogy after inhaling a balloon containing helium. <laughs> what I'd love is for to see Jason's reaction to this. Be like, oh, geez, really? All right. If, if he, well, listen, I'm not, he told me to. Uh, here's a guy who... Um, the last line of his uh, of his of his obituary in the paper says he respectfully requests six Cleveland Browns pallbearers so the Browns can let him down one last time. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And the, here's yep. the thing: if the Browns were to show up, they are acknowledging and they are telling everyone. Everyone. This one is uh, another favorite one. Uh, Bill Eaves. I have no idea where, but it mentions Kingston, so maybe it's Kingston, Ontario, but I'm not sure. The picture is is comic. He looks, he's wearing, he, he's got glasses that make his eyes very big and he's got a weird face. Like it's a joke picture, I hope, or else this is just his sitting angry look, in which case he's a scary looking dude. Anyway, uh, Bill Eves, 1937 to 2014, goes on and on. Um, on Saturday, February of the 8th, Molson stock price fell sharply on the news of Bill Eves passing. Then it goes on to some more funny stuff, but then... Perhaps most important to Bill was educating people on the dangers of holding in your farts. Sadly, he was unable to attain his lifelong goal of catching his beloved wife, Judy, cutting the cheese or playing the bum trumpet, which he likened (laughs) to spotting Bigfoot or a unicorn. (laughs) That is outstanding. Um, Stephen Merrill, 31, Winter Haven. Stephen Merrill passed away February 12, 2015 due to an uppercut from Batman. Wow. That's a hearty hit. That is a hearty hit. Uh, Robert Gibson, nicknamed Falcon, Colonel, United States Marine Corps, retired. And the picture, the guy looks like the most prim and proper, well-groomed, Marine, you could imagine. I mean, take the most pristine human being on the planet with not a wrinkle in his clothes and not a hair out of place. That's this guy, Robert Gibson, a.k.a. Falcon. And his obituary is very much in line with that. Very straightforward, very methodical, very accurate. Until it gets to the end, a native of Northern Virginia for the last 30 years of his life, he hated how all of you were incapable of driving competently. (laughs) (laughs) In the moment I could speak freely, I told you my thoughts. Yes, you he really let driving. loose. Um, okay, here we go. Mike, uh, I don't know who this is. This is just part of the way down an obituary. Mike was predeceased in death by Clyde and Ethel Blanchard, survived by his beloved sons, Mike and Chopper, former wife, Jane, brother, Stephen, uncle, Don, and aunt. Um, Baba Yaga, don't know what that is, can kiss his butt. So many of his childhood friends that weren't killed in Vietnam went on to become criminals, prostitutes, and or Democrats. <laughs> he asks that you stop by and retell the stories he can no longer tell. As the celebration will contain adult material, we respectfully ask no children under 18 attend. Wow. Well, I mean, A restricted hey. funeral. Hey, he knows what he wants and he's going to get it. Is his name, did he really have a son named Chopper? Chopper. I'm guessing, yeah, Chopper. Who? Uh, that's a first. I've not heard the name Chopper before. That is but a name ties I'd, I'd be okay with being called Chopper you? for the rest of my life. Well, it ties into our next one in a weird way. Chan Holcomb, 72, of Sm- of Fort Smith. Th- this is, you know, some of these have been funny. Some of them have been clever. This one is just the weirdest obituary ever. Because it's a, it's a full obituary and it's pretty normal. It doesn't seem like it's supposed to be funny. 
But there's just one fact plopped into the middle of this that you go, wait, what? Let me read it. Chan, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the fact. Chan Holcomb, 72, of Fort Smith, died Tuesday, uh, Thursday, October 13, 2011. He was born July 14, 1939 in a log cabin in Bates to the late Ralph and Inez Holcomb and was circumcised with his dad's pocket knife. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're back on to every normal bit of news about him. Well, who, who would think that's the information you're going to throw into an obituary? You know, that the rest need. of the world needs to know that. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> or um, unfortunate. Well, yeah. Dad I, never it, did sharpen it evenly. <laughs> it didn't say dull. Uh, Price Mackenzie Davis of McKinney, formerly of Tyre, made his last inappropriate and probably sarcastic comment on o- October 25th. Uh, let's see a couple more. This one, this one is incredibly long and the guy's name was Joseph Heller Jr. And it is the funniest obituary ever. The family was great. Like they wrote this thing and it was brilliant. I can't read all of it. It would take me 20 minutes. It is really long. Um, let me just give you a couple high points. Um, he was also, uh, he would also thwart lunch thieves with laxative lace chocolate cakes and excrement meatloaf sandwiches. <laughs> his mother was not immune to his pranks as he named his first dog fart. So she would have to scream his name to come home. <laughs> on and on and on it goes. Yes. And, and, and it goes on and on and on and on. All right. Uh, a couple more. Do you and think we that, will be, do you think that family was ever trying to be like, Hey, what's the maximum amount of characters or most number Hi, what, how many characters can we make before this is like maxed out? They blew the entire inheritance on the obituary <laughs> in the paper. I'm telling you. We hired writers, ghost writers, underwriters, overwriters, every kind of writer we possibly can. So we can get the best of the best. Let's give you one more here. Uh, not really funny. Just, it, this is kind of more touching. We'll finish touching because he looks like he's got a very young son. And so father, husband and life of the party, Aaron Joseph Permort was many things to many people. And if his, if his obituary is to be believed, he was also a superhero. (laughs) I like that. That's very touching. That's very touching. That's not too, uh, that's not too mean or too funny, but anyway, yes, I'm, um, I'm going to have to speak to my family because I've decided now I don't want a a really maudlin obituary. I think I would like one that's got some fun in it. You got any ideas on uh, what highlights you might want highlighted? I'll have them consult you. You've got some, you probably have some thoughts. He has the best burps when the microphone is off. That's true. The nicest hair anyone could ever ask for. Needs to be trimmed. Yes, it needs to be cut down. It's it's, it's time. If you've got any ideas, I mean, if you know any other ones, send me a note, radley at 900chml.com. If you have other obituaries, not yours, hopefully. Um, Look, if it's your obituary and you're sending it to me, I'm getting scared. But if you've seen other ones, let me know. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening. And do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.